Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. Not with us this week because he's on the injured reserve, but again, he'd still be very, very angry if I didn't introduce him first. Our regular <laughs> co-host, Glenn Fitzgerald. But fret not because with us are Jed Brewer. Aha! And all the way from Oak Tennessee, Lee Younger. I, I think the right procedure is for us to be in under protest. You know what? Particularly over the last you know period of time, I've decided I am just always in protest, just like as a safeguard. Jed's walking around with like a sandwich sign and just holding up, you know, banners about things he's angry about. Just always protesting. Sure. Exactly right. Yeah. 24 hours a day. A state of pretest, if you will, just in case. Oh, very good. Very good. <laughs> I also have a vision of Jed at larger protests, but with signs about the thing he's angry about <laughs> and really confusing people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like, well, yeah, I guess free Palestine and bring back the Doritos Locos Tacos. We can <laughs> we can do both of those. I don't know that your thing is really the main thing. I swear to you, Matt, I was thinking about the Doritos Locos Tacos. I almost said it. Yeah. Jed yeah. has a brand, folks. Wasn't there some Mountain Dew flavored Doritos at some point, Jed? In, in fact, uh, Superfan Bridie actually sent me all That's the way right. from New Zealand some Mountain Dew flavored Doritos. They were delicious. And I think the one I, I'm, I'm blessed to, to live a life with really very few regrets, but I do have one. And that one is that I never got to have Dori- Mountain Dew flavored Doritos Locos Tacos. Wow. Because that is what was meant for my life. But I'm, I, I'm afraid <laughs> that the cowardice of both the yeah. Dorito Corporation and the Taco Bell Corporation, they just can't handle how delicious that would be. And so, I mean, yeah, they're, they're keeping it from me, but they're keeping it from the rest of you too. That that's the thing you people don't see just walk around eating normal food. You don't realize how good it could be. And that's why I have on the sandwich board. Where did, yeah. Where did Jed get that soapbox? <laughs> well, what I'm picturing the next step from the sandwich board is Jed with a neck tattoo that says no regrets, <laughs> but there's an asterisk. <laughs> and then just the rest of his chest is that rant. <laughs> like dude as a, as just a social experiment if i could find a place that did like really believable high quality temporary tattoos i would totally do that for you know whatever the couple weeks till it wears off i i would definitely for sure do that that's amazing no one has ever been asked to leave more beaches for a more esoteric <laughs> reason <laughs> than protest jed <laughs> but pro- under protest or not, we must move on. We have some wonderful questions. We have a great show. But first, we have what can I I can only describe as an oh boy emergency. Ooh. We're coming to this one a couple of weeks late, but we felt we needed to uh to analyze this. I'm reading from no less a source than the religious religion news service. Uh, Christian musician Matthew West deletes, quote, modest is hottest YouTube video after pushback. Oh, gosh. Here's here's the thing. And I, I if you don't know what we're talking about, and I hope you don't, uh, both the song and the wider um, idea, which was very popular in the kind of purity culture, kiss dating goodbye. God help us all when the Christians find something that rhymes. Because they assume yeah. that must make it a deep truth. 
<laughs> and so they jumped in with the modest is hottest. Yeah. And then wait, go right ahead, Jen. Can I ask a clarifying question? Because I'm not, you know, I'm not up on all the hip, cool things like modest is hottest. I assume, just for clarification, like you know, it's it's an antiquated idea and it's very much culturally variable. But the idea of dressing in a modest fashion typically means more clothing and typically heavier clothing. Is is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I believe the uh, in in the song in question the. The outfit get the uh, ideal outfit get this that gets name checked is a turtleneck and sensible pair of slacks. Okay, got it. So, like, I assume <laughs> what they mean is that dressing in several layers like that is very warm. Like, it's really could in, in certain environments could be uncomfortably warm because there's so much clothing. You might sweat a little bit, so maybe we want to turn the air conditioning down a bit. I assume that's the general thrust of the song. Well, that would be that would be an interesting one. This message brought to you by your electricity provider. Please run that AC at sixty eight as much as you possibly can. No, well, Jed, you do bring up an important point because one of the things that needs to be pointed out is uh, in the world of the people who buy into Modest is Hottest, there's never summer, <laughs> right? Because there's always covered shoulders and long pants. Because apparently. All males are animals who can't un- who just can't deal with the exposed kneecap of anyone without <laughs> falling into a Tasmanian devil like explosion of lust. <laughs> what I love about that, Matt, was that the kneecap was singular. Yeah, so it's just like the one. Even 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 one kneecap. Yeah. I also like that the that the way that the Christians are rolling on this is that what we're trying to do is we're tr- uh, ostensibly we're trying to uh create an environment where we uh reduce in the words of Homer Simpson reduce my boredom reduce lust <laughs> but yes. um but we're doing that by selling something as actually hotter yep so yes. there's a little bit of a there's a little bit of a weirdness going on here of like wait a minute wait a minute. I thought hot was the problem so, but now we're saying modest is hottest, and that's our selling point. I feel like, um, methinks the CCM artist doth rhyme too much. <laughs> well, I, I think that's a great point, uh, Lee, because we know two things about the kind of the Christian uh, industry in this case. Uh, they do love a rhyme, and they don't love thinking about things too hard. So that's where that kind of thing leads us. And I'll, I'll, I will read some lyrics from Modest is Hottest. Um, okay. um, the chorus, which gets repeated a couple of times, uh, Modest is Hottest, the latest fashion trend, is a little more Amish, a little less Kardashian. Okay. And this is we're already with a, dealing with people who think trend and Kardashian rhyme, so we got some problems there. Uh, what the boys really love is a turtleneck and a sensible pair of slacks. To Lee's hey. point, isn't this whole thing about not doing what the boys love? Right. Also, <laughs> how many 16-year-old boys were surveyed in that outfit choice? Yeah. And then it closes out with maybe pound for pound the creepiest lyric I've ever seen crammed into one line. And it really takes a dark kind of Hitchcockian turn at the end. Honey, modest is hottest. Sincerely, your dad. Mm, wow. That's, um, 
And I know we marvel at this in when it comes to the entertainment industry and the Christian entertainment industry, particularly a lot. So many people had to sign off on this. Yeah. People wrote it and then they wrote it down and then they recorded it. And then they listened back to they that brought recording. In musicians. Hired musicians, did several takes, harmonies, mastering, publishing. Someone had to write the liner copy. We had to upload it to Spotify. There were a lot of chances for someone to say, is this terrible? <laughs> so I know this is not really the direction the emergency is going, but I would really love to hear how Weird Al would make fun of this. Oh, that's good. That he that's very about good. food somehow. Yeah, the Weird Al version of this to me would be would be a whole lot of fun. Well, there, there's two as a, a proud Weird Al aficionado. There, there are two paths that could go. One would be you know a, a true remake, and and I think something uh, culinarily oriented would definitely be the ticket. But the other thing that he often does, which I think this would really lend itself well to, are his polka melodies. Um, yeah. where it, it is the original lyrics, but it's been transformed into the whimsical world of polka. And I, I think modest is hottest done as a polka, I think would really be something incredible. And I believe it would have to be called the purity polka. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Misogyny on the accordion at 300 BPM. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, really, really cranking it through. Yeah, this is this is horrifying. I'm gonna read some more lyrics because I, I, my eyes have uh, had to take these in, and now so show your ears, dear listener. Um, this is we were talking about this before we hit record because obviously, you know, he got dude got blasted on the internet for doing something incredibly misogynistic and paternalistic and horrifying in any number of ways, especially when like. Most denominations right now are dealing with like massive sex scandals. It's a weird time to, you know, point out how yep. uh, how a teenage girls dress like Jezebels is a weird uh, message for this moment in time. But the the classic uh, scoundrels defense on the Internet of I was just joking. Um, he tried that. And there's a line in here. If you put your your deer stalker detective hat on, which lets you know, maybe he knows this wasn't that great a joke. One of the verses says, if I catch you doing dances on the TikTok, the TikTok, in a crop top, so help me God, you'll be grounded till the world stops. I'm just kidding. No, I'm not. Yeah. Wow. You know, know, I I don't have kids, and and Matt, I don't think you have kids, but but Lee, (laughs) not only do you definitely have children, you you also, you know, kind of counsel parents when you know they're kind of trying to figure things out i I assume that being a hard-ass parent like that always works super well right (laughs) particularly about uh, things involving dress uh dress and sexuality yeah well i'm glad we had this talk never backfired not even once holy cow dude this is such an unbelievable the there's something that there's something that Jenna was saying. I think that we need to dive into on this as well, Matt. That I think you need to lay out for the people. Uh, remind me of what that what that detail was. Just that that it would be really fun to explore. Oh yeah. How would this How would this feel coming back at the uh, the the forty eight fifty year old uh, guy? 
Yeah, there's so we, we, there's a couple of things going on here. One is obviously uh, we on the the Say That podcast and a lot of the our friends and the people listen would just like this kind of stuff to stop. You could just not comment on what anyone else is wearing pretty much ever. That would be great. Um, but since it doesn't seem like these people who make this kind of stuff are are inclined to do that, we could also go for a just a little bit of turnabout as fair play and start slut shaming 45 year old white guys. <laughs> yeah. Just, you know, rolling up on some guy who walks into church wearing the, the cargo shorts and the dry fit polo and being like, Randy, I'm worried about. I'm worried about your inner life. I'm worried about why you feel you need this attention. What do you think it's going to get you? <laughs> Just where you want to be when Jesus comes back, Brian, standing there in five inch inseam shorts. So a wicking t shirt. There are the classic, like, some, some people will know what I'm talking about as soon as I start describing them, but there's a classic pair of, like, of Nike tennis shoes that somehow. They they're only purchased by white men age forty seven to fifty eight. Sure, your classic and, lawn mowing shoes. Yes, and they're just like real brick soles. There's a little bit of navy blue accent, but just pretty much solid white, kind of really clunky uh, Nike tennis shoes. And our our good friend Devin Rodriguez calls those the Dad Elevens, <laughs> and. <laughs> And so I like the idea of just like a guy rolling into church in the dad 11s and it's, and somebody just, just like pulling out the verses in first Peter about, uh, you know, about, uh, uh, you know, not being adorned with gold jewelry and stuff like, well, Hey, why do you need to show off with your dad 11s? Uh, yeah. Excellent. Excellent. I also like the idea of, uh, kind of gossiping about and in earshot of the parents of teenage boys who are just wearing normal teenage boys things be like, right. You can, you can just tell they didn't raise them. Right. You can tell them they didn't raise them. Right. Look at wearing a tank top to church. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a great shoot to yeah, hell that, for that boy. That, that Charlotte Hornets Jersey is just so teal and purple. Yeah, exactly. Look, <laughs> how early you think he got up to tussle his hair like that. So it looks like he just rolled out of bed. They don't teach morals anymore. <laughs> Yeah, I will do. And to uh, Lee's point, I would love, as we've discussed in the show before, pretty much every time you see the word modest in the New Testament, it's not referring to uh, covering oneself. It's talking about displays of wealth when right. we talk about, you know, modesty in the church. So I just like, you know, just as people roll up, just the pastor out there, uh, BMW 5 Series, huh? What are you trying to fill the God shaped hole in your heart with a German inline six engine, Dan? <laughs> oh, is that what's happening? Yeah. You're trying to turn heads on the road there? Hmm. Maybe you should turn your heart towards Jesus, Dan. <laughs> you know, because there's, on this tide of these kind of horrible purity culture things, we can all do our, our part to push back against it, to uh, correct people where, where, it can, where we can, to not buy into that, to certainly look at what parts of that we might have onboarded on ourselves un unintentionally and look back on it. But you can also call 55 year old guys wearing cargo short sluts and that's <laughs> going to make you happy. It may not do much else, but it r is funny every single time. Well, I, I think I, I may have a song. I, I don't, you know, I, I, Lee and I are going to need to work on it. We're not, we're not ready to, 
to to get it just yet, but I think I have something that that can turn the tables at least a little bit. So I, you know, because I'm a preacher's kid, I'm very uh, versed in taking things in the Bible completely out of their context for my own purposes. Mm, Um, So we're in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 13, verse 11. Um, Let's start with the New Living Translation, and it it reads, As a loincloth clings to a man's waist, so I created Judah and Israel to cling to me, says the Lord. They were to be my people, my pride, my glory, and honor to my name, but they would not listen to me. A lot going on there. We're going to skip down now to uh, a slightly... Uh, a newer version, it's a contemporary English version, and it says, these shorts were tight around your waist, and that's how tightly I held on to the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. So here, clearly, there is evidence in the Bible linking tight clothing and something that God is in favor of. Therefore, I bring out our new song, Tightest is Righteous, which is our <laughs> new oh. way of guilting anyone who doesn't wear extremely tight clothing at all times. Oh yeah, that's that's for the win right there. Thank well, yeah, you. I think you can can combine it. You just Don. It looks like you could fit two other people in that uh, dry fit polo you got on there. Titus is righteous, Don. Yeah, let's let's live according to the scripture, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> we will declare emergency off. Hmm. Unfortunately, I don't think the wider cultural emergency will be off, but uh, hey, that's just more content for us. <laughs> yeah. Also, more content for you. You can find in places like Bridgebox, missionusa.com slash Bridgebox. There's some great stuff in your inbox the first of every month. Sign up over there for only $8 and help support us and the work we do up here in Chicago. You can also find our live Bridgecast every week. We have moved to a new time. Sunday is at 7 p.m. Central Time. If you can't catch it there, you can find every single one of those archived over our Facebook page. The Bridgecast now involves sermons, music, and all sorts of good stuff recorded at our Tuesday Bridge service. So if you can't be with us on Tuesday in Chicago, it is the next best thing. We hope you'll check that out at facebook.com slash thebridgechicago. We're going to jump to our first question here. If you handle this all the way to the end, I'll give you some ways you can touch this, or you can scroll into your episode description and click the links you find there. Our first question comes in and says, I'm really into this guy. He is dealing with some issues that make him feel like he can't be in a relationship with anyone, even though he says he likes me too. The complicating factor is that we live in a shared house with about 12 other people, including his ex-fiance, in a foreign country where we all work for the same ministry, and COVID restrictions are still tight. How do I navigate this without losing my mind? And uh, definitely, as this person put in their email, I believe it was the subject of the email, and truth, words never spoken, a lot going on here. So we're glad you acknowledge that, but uh, there are certainly some things we can do, some good decisions we can make. And Lee, where would we start off with this very complex situation? It is a complex situation. It's one of those deals where if a person had kind of any one of these issues, they would have some tough choices to make and they would be looking for some wisdom. And you've got layers of it, stacks of it. Um, You know, the interesting thing about you asking this question is that a lot of people listening may have, you know, one piece of this going on in their life or in the life of somebody that they care about. And so we want to kind of talk about some of the different sides of this so that, you know, there, it's very unlikely, I guess what I'm saying, for for a ton of listeners to be in your exact situation, just because, as Matt said, this is a lot. Um, we are 
we're glad that you would trust us with it. And, and we're sorry that you're in such a tough place. It is a tough place to feel like here I am trying to do this ministry thing. And now uh, COVID restrictions are on. And so I don't have the freedom to get out of this situation. I'm, I'm here trying to serve the Lord. And now I have this very complicated, um, this very complicated situation with the guy that, that you like. Um, the one thing that I want to kind of lay down as a as kind of a baseline principle when we look at anything that has to do with romantic relationships is we always want to make sure that you understand, that everybody understands, you deserve to be with somebody who knows they want to be with you and that that's their thing. Like, not not that somebody that's like, yeah, I... Yeah, I think I kind of want to be with you too, but I, I don't know. I got some other stuff going on, and I don't know that I can really that I can really commit to that right now. When you find yourself in that situation, what we want to do is we we want to figure out how do we not continue to put energy toward that. In other words, um, you can be cordial, you can be kind, but I would not pursue this. Um, whether or not it's it's intentional and and you know and and I don't know the guy that you're talking about and so I don't know what the full backstory is I don't know what all's going on here but a a statement like I like you too but I don't think I can date right now and whatever the reason is behind that that's sort of a classic mixed signal that keeps you on the hook um it keeps you as an available option it keeps you as a as potentially a person that you're going to keep continue to to want to be with him, with him, and you're going to continue to pursue that in some way. You're going to continue to think about him. You're going to continue to find out what do you have in common and all of those things. Meanwhile, he's not in a position or in a place where he's willing to say, I really, really want to be with you. I'll do whatever it takes to make that happen. Um, like you said, I mean, the, the ex-fiance situation, gosh, that's tough. All of this stuff is tough. And again, it may not be an intentional thing. But this is a classic mixed signal thing that that we want to make sure that you are not continuing to pursue it because it leaves you on the hook. Um, you deserve, again, to be with somebody who's clear that they want to be with you. They show it, they demonstrate it, and they're working towards that at the same level that you're working towards it. Obviously, figuring out how to dial that back and how to and 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 how to, you know, to work towards turning off those emotions or whatever, that's going to be some strategic stuff that's that's worth thinking about and figuring out some tactics on and all that kind of stuff. But it's as far as emotionally aware to start and and thinking about practical as well, we want to make sure that you understand you deserve to be with somebody who knows they want to be with you. And whether or not this is an intentional thing, you don't want to be put into a place where you're uh, you're an option or just on the hook. That's an excellent place to start this off. And Jed, I'd love to get you to pick us up there because I think one of the things in that really good advice that Lee's pointing us to is when we're stuck in a situation like the one that sounds like our question asker is in where there's really very little we can do uh, physically so much as, you know, obviously when you're in this kind of situation, our normal advice would involve, well, you know, get some space, which is a literally limited thing. Then we do have to turn to some more internal, some more attitudinal, some more kind of thought experiment level stuff and what's what are some other examples of where we might do those those mental exercises that's a great question man i think one of the things that's worth doing here is really in the spirit of a thought experiment 
thinking it all the way through. So suppose that dude decided, you know, that he was okay with having a relationship. What would that actually look like in your current situation? Um, and I'm, I'm not asserting that it would be good or bad or workable, or not workable. That, that that's left as an exercise for you, but what would it look like? How would it actually work? Like practically speaking, you know, what, what would it mean for you guys to be engaged in some kind of dating relationship in your current situation? Uh, what would it look like? Where would you start? What challenges would you need to overcome? And I think that's, that's worth doing for a few reasons. One, it gives you something to think about other than just the frustration of, does this dude like me or does he not like me and, and what's the deal? So there, there's something kind of positive and actionable there, which that alone is, is good and worthwhile. But I think it does two things as well. The, the first is if he's um, – and, and very much to agree with Lee, if he kind of has this vibe of, eh, I don't know, uh, that's, that's not great. Uh, if you are looking at kind of the practical logistics and you're kind of saying, you know what, um, even if he was super into it, I'm not sure there's really a way to implement that given where we currently are. I mean, this, this may be just one of those so close and yet so far kind of situations. And if that's the case, if I, if I kind of look at it from all angles and say, he, he seems pretty unsure. And I don't think this is, there's a good way to to actually do this where we are. Then maybe that gives you permission in your own heart and mind to put that to rest, at least for now. Um, you know, I mean, perhaps in in the future things change, but, um, I, I think that, it can be very difficult to put things to rest when we haven't fully thought them all the way through. Um, but, but when we have, and, and we say, look, this is it's just not a good way to hook this up. I, I think there actually is some peace to be had on the other side of that. And that's really the number one thing that we want for you in this situation yeah. is for you to have some peace. Um, you know, obviously we want you to have a great relationship with a great person who's crazy about you. And, and whether that is this one or, or a different one in the future, we, we do want that for you. But right now today, we want you to have some peace. And, and I think that, that thinking these things all the way through doing the, the thought experiments is a big part of that. But the other possibility, um, which maybe isn't quite as likely, but I think it's really valuable to, to look at is you may do those thought experiments. You you may kind of say, you know, how would it work and how would it look and what we do? And, and maybe you come to the other side of that and you say, I really think we could make this work. You know, I think there's a way to, to do this. I think there's a way to, to make this happen and to be a good situation. Okay. Here's something that I've discovered in my own life is that sometimes people are resistant to things because they can't imagine a scenario in which that thing would work out. Um, that's actually not the same as disinterest. Um, I want to be crystal clear because we're talking about romantic relationships that um, another person doesn't need a good reason to be disinterested in a relationship. Um, so um, if if you have intimated to another human being, maybe we should pursue a relationship, and, and the answer back is is no. I am not suggesting that you double down on that, and I want to be very clear about that. But in general, in life, there are all kinds of situations where people are rejecting things out of hand in large measure because they are not um, – they can't think of a way that this could work. And so they're just saying, eh, probably not. Um, I have no idea if that's the case here, but if 
based on your on your question, what you're saying is he let me read this back here. He says he likes you too, but there are some issues that make him feel like he can't. Okay. Uh, again, that may actually just be his version of no. And and if that's where we're at, we we do we do need to respect that. But if what he is saying to you is I like you, but I just feel like there's not a way to make this work. One of the advantages of the thought experiment and really doing the math, so to speak, and going all the way through it is you may see a way to make it work that he hasn't thought of, and that may be part of the holdup. Again, there's plenty of non-romantic places in life where that definitely happens. And so in either case, the way forward is going to be putting in the work to do the thought experiments, really think this stuff all the way through in a logistical way. That's either going to yield us a lot of peace as we put this to rest, or it might give us an idea of how to move forward. And either is better than where we're at right now. I think that's a fantastic layer to put on top of that. Uh, Kind of as an, as an on top of that. And in the other way, as Jed points out, one of the things you can often find when you look at things is a, another angle, another, um, another good idea. And that depends on the specifics of the situation. And you know, those, and we don't, um, but the thing as Jed's pointing out there, which is very important is there are a lot of things in that could be answers that that will boil down to no. And when we're in that place, the reasons kind of don't matter. Yeah. Like we, we often think of things where, you know, somebody gives a, there's a very thin layer on top of an, I just don't want to of, Oh, well the classic, uh, church guy of, Oh, well I prayed about it and the Lord told me that no, or, or I just, I have, I'm so busy in this season of my life, whatever, which basically boil it down to, I don't, I don't want to be with you for whatever reason. And this is the excuse I'm giving you. And we've talked a lot on the show about how picking at that doesn't really get you anywhere good because as Lee points out, you deserve to be with someone who wants to be with you. There's actually kind of a corollary of that with really, really good reasons. If someone says, oh, well, I have some emotional trauma I am working through. I am raw from a previous relationship. I'm dealing with uh, an ill parent or whatever big life decision would make, would lead someone to say, I just, I have looked at it. I have done the math as, as Jed puts it. And I have decided this is not going to work. Um, you don't get any uh, satisfaction or any, anything good out of digging at, well, was that good reason good enough? Because it was a no. Um, that's a very harsh idea we don't like telling people that you know uh that this thing you really want is just not going to happen but there is a certain amount of freedom to it as we talked before on the show of uh we talked about mourning a breakup that idea and you can do the same thing with a potential relationship that didn't come together but but mourning it starts with realizing that it is dead um and acting as if if someone tells you i don't want to be with you then as both these guys are pointing out in their in, from different angles, um, continuing to try to be with that person is not good for them and not good for you. And what you may find is you are in a, might be in a situation where your emotions are going to have to follow your actions. Mm. So whether that's asking someone else to coffee or getting on a dating app, if that's in the, in the country you're in or whatever kind of thing, you are behaving as if you don't have any romantic prospects living in this house because you don't from a a functional standpoint. Now, the way that often starts is, but I'm still really, really want this other thing to work. 
So my heart's really not in doing that other option. And that's totally fine. You can still move that way at whatever pace you're comfortable with, if you are comfortable with it. Because even though you really, really want that other thing to work out, it's not going to happen. To to use a, a fairly crude analogy, and I'm not drawing a one-to-one, but if you were shopping for a car and you found exactly the one you wanted, but someone else bought it, it doesn't matter how many times you go to that lot and ask if that car's still there. It's just not. You need to move on with another plan to get uh, tr- your transportation needs met. Um, and as we talked about before, when you kind of mourn that thing and move on, uh, a couple uh, kind of the only thing that things that can happen from there are good. You could find another relationship. That'd be good. You could find some happiness in your current situation. That would be good. Maybe this person sees you moving on and deals with their own stuff and now wants to try it. That's fine because that's not an extension of the old thing. Reflaming that's it's that's a new thing on new terms where they do want to be with you. That's, that's a good thing as well. Um, but all of that to say you, you ask, you know, how do I navigate this without losing my mind? Moving on and moving to a new thing is a really good way to not get stuck uh, agonizing over the old thing. As much as that seems far more painful in the moment, in the long run, it is going to lead to the better outcome. We are sure of that. Matt, I think before you move on, I really like your point that you're making about the uh, dating app because it feels like in the particular situation that our question asker is in, that's one of the most productive, actual practical things that they can do in the sense of you're in the house with a lot of people and there's all these COVID restrictions and stuff. And that is a practical step forward that really, really does offer a, a, a chance to change the channel. And, and, you know, once those, uh, once those thought experiments have been run through, like Jed's talking about all the different angles of that really, really practically changing the channel and something you actually can do with, with a lot of those dating apps have really upped their game in, during the season of COVID to figure out ways to make that a, a, a positive, productive experience. Yeah, absolutely. One thing we, we have all found in our own lives and in various situations is doing something is almost always better than doing nothing if you're trying to to maintain your sanity. And this is definitely a situation where even if it doesn't seem like it would be good, even if it doesn't seem like it's uh, would help at all, doing something often is a step in the right direction. Move on to our next question here. It comes in and says, Psalm 37 starts, Do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. That makes it sound like we're not supposed to do anything when evil and injustice are happening around us. Lots of other parts of the Bible talk about standing up for the poor or taking up the cause of the oppressed. What does this verse mean in that larger context? And another really cool question, and we love when folks uh, send in these kind of break this statement down for us questions. And Jed, where would we start with it? Okay, so we're going to look at what the the Hebrew word fret means. Uh, But before we do, we're going to walk through together how you can do this for yourself, because it's really easy and it's good for you to know. And I don't want to pretend like I'm a Hebrew scholar, because I'm not. So I'm going to show you exactly how I got my answer. So we're going to go to BibleHub.com. And which is a super great site. And when you get there, it's going to be set to Genesis 1 1, because it's the first verse in the Bible. And you're going to see uh, towards the top middle of the page, 
uh, something that says interlin, which is short for interlinear. You're going to click on that. It's going to bring up that verse, Genesis 1-1, that it was set to um, in a combination of um, English and Hebrew. And just for fun, uh, we're going to click on the word that's translated to created. I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce that because I have no idea, but we're going to click on it and do it together. And it's going to bring up actually like a listing, uh, which is really cool, of everywhere that that word occurs in the Bible and different conjugations of it. But on this new page, uh, again, kind of top middle, we're going to click on uh, a link that says summary. Okay, and basically what this is going to do is, is give us more or less a, a dictionary definition of what this word is, and what we'll see. And, and you can you can go pretty deep on this. There's there's a lot of stuff for for pretty much any word, but the the quick one is from a, a, an old book called Strong's Concordance, and it says that the word that is translated as create um, means in Hebrew to shape something or to create something. So there you go. That's that's how you can dig into any word of any verse in the Bible and start to get a sense of here's what it's driving at. So if you were to do that with Psalm 37, um, with, with verse one of Psalm 37, if you looked at the word fret, um, the Hebrew uh, translates, and again, it's not because I'm a Hebrew scholar, it's because I just did the process I just um, laid out for you. The Hebrew for fret means to burn with anger. That's that's what the uh, the Hebrew means. I don't think that the word fret is a good translation of that because that, you know, it's not the way I typically think of it, but that is what the Hebrew means, is to burn with anger. So if we take that definition, here's what the Jet International Version uh, would mean from uh, Psalm 37, is saying not to let it get to you. It's saying to not let all of their evilness and wickedness and whatnot mess with you, which, to be clear, is a really important part of taking action successfully. If you if you let yourself get really super pissed off, if you burn with anger, if you're like, someone's got to do something, you will work really hard for like a couple days and then you're just going to burn yourself out. Um, And it's important that we that we recognize that dynamic, because if you grew up in America, you grew up with a cultural belief that anger is a superpower. Um. You watched a lot of TV shows and movies and played a lot of video games where once the hero just gets angry enough and and he just cries out, I can remain silent no longer. That's when the plot really turns around because his his rage is now fueling him. And while that is an interesting and sometimes hilarious uh, narrative device, that is not how life actually works. Mm. The, the, The idea that anger is a superpower is nonsense. That is just not accurate. If you want to make a change in this world, the way you do that is you behold um, uh, uh, oppression, you behold injustice, you behold inequality, and you decide, I need to do something about this. I need to address this, but I'm not letting this take over my brain. I'm not giving over my mind and my thought life and my psyche to just constantly uh, rehashing the horrors of this world and my anger at them because your brain isn't built for that. It won't work and all it's going to do is mess with you. And I think that that is what that verse is is pointing to is don't let it get to you. That's not to say we're not going to do something about it. We're definitely going to do something about it. But evil wants to play games with your brain. It really, at least for me, I know that's true. It, it wants to get uh, to you. It wants to mess with you. And I think that that, I think the point of that verse is don't let it do that. Instead, 
Focus on action. Focus on what you can do to help. And don't buy into that lie that anger is going to somehow get you there because it's super, super not. Love is what's going to get you there, and love is a different thing. A wonderful place to start that off. A really, really cool base to set. And Lee, what else can we draw from what this verse actually means? Well, I, I really love where where Jed is is taking us on that. And and I, I want to just continue, just kind of take the baton to to the next place. One of the things that we talk about on this show a lot is the idea of setting and maintaining boundaries in relationships. And one of the things in defining what that means to to set and maintain a boundary that's really, really critical is that um, that there a lot of times in relationships, there are things that you cannot change about another person, but in a, when you're setting a boundary, you are declaring, this is what I will do. You're declaring what your action is going to be. You may not be able to change um, the, the way that somebody else sees you. You may not be able to change the way that someone else talks about you. You may not be able to uh, change somebody's, somebody else's attitude about a situation or, you know, whatever the thing is, but you are able to determine and to declare how you are going to respond. Um, I, I, Psalm 37 for me has always been a very helpful, um, it's, it's kind of a helpful way to understand how to set and maintain boundaries with people that I'm not going to change, that I am settled about who I am in the Lord, that I have, I've got to let that there, you know, there are times when people are going to run their mouth and all that kind of stuff, and I may have to let people know, hey, this is what I will do in this relationship, and this is what I will not do in this relationship. I may not be able to change the way that you see me, but I am not going to be a part of this in this way. Um, and it's exactly what uh, you know. It, it's exactly what Jed's saying. I'm not going to burn the world down or anything like that, but I am going to declare this is what I will do as a response to this. I think one of the places that people get confused about what this psalm means is I think that a lot of people look at it and they're saying like, okay, well, I guess what this means is, um, just as Jeb was pointing out, I guess you can't do anything about like injustice in the world or something. You're supposed to just let people get away with whatever they're doing. And I don't think that's it at all. You know, the, the, the heart of the Lord is that we're supposed to, we're supposed to love mercy. We're supposed to walk humbly with our God. We're supposed to do do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with our God. And one of the things that that means is that we are going to do something about injustice. We are going to do something about systemic hate. We are going to do something about those uh, about all of those things. But there are people that I'm not going to be able to change, but I can absolutely declare who I am, and if I know who I am, and part of that is I'm not going to let their attitude get me down. I'm not going to let their funky attitude about me get me down. And I think that's what happens when um, when people are running their mouth, when they're saying all kinds of evil stuff. I think for me personally, emotionally, the first place that I have to get settled is I have to be able to get to a place where I realize in myself, I don't see myself the way they do. Um, a lot of times that, uh, you know, the evil that we come up against is really, really awful stuff. A lot of times, personally, it's just people's attitude about us. It's the way that they talk about us. It's the way that they treat us. And we've got to get to a place where we can start there and say, I am not going to put myself in this position relationally. I am not going to, I'm not going to be a party to this. I'm not going to 
uh, try to curry favor with these people. And, and some of that has to do with just declaring, this is who I am, this is what I'll do, and this is what I won't do. Another excellent layer to add on to that. And I think it really builds on what uh, Jed gave us there by walking through the original language in the verse. Um, the thing that strikes me is, you know, obviously Psalm 37 is a whole thing. I think we can sometimes have a problematic uh, tendency that I think we all have to pull out a couple verses from the Bible, which is fine and work on their own. and want that to sum up everything once, you know, there's some really well-written or really uh, popular verses to be a thing we can apply to, to everything. And it's, it's a big book and there's a lot going on, but even if you just keep reading Psalm 37 through to verse three, you quoted verses one and two, which say, do not fret because of those who are evil or in, be envious of those who do wrong for like the grass, they will soon weather like green, green plants. They will soon die away. The very next verse says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land yeah. and enjoy safe pasture. So if you just take those first two verses, it certainly sounds like you're being called not to do anything and just let stuff happen. But as Jed started us off with, with those first two verses are David talking about an attitude and a feeling you're not supposed to give into and a mindset you're not supposed to have. And then he turns around and says, but you are the first verb in there is you're supposed to do good. You're supposed to that that goes hand in hand, and that's kind of as Lee was talking about there, there's going to be situations around you, both in a personal sense and in a larger sense, that you're going to have to accept exist and not be uh, totally uh, burnt up or discouraged into doing nothing by the fact that those things exist and will probably keep existing. But there are things for us to do uh, to both in our personal lives and uh, you know, best we can in the larger world to have a positive effect, to go and do good, and don't let the fact that there are bad people doing bad things stop you from wanting to do good where you can around you. Move on to our final question here. It comes in and says, I'm in a situation that has brought up a lot of anger in me. I feel angry at the other person in the situation who acted in a way that hurt me. I feel angry at people in their orbit who didn't treat them well, and angry at God for letting it all happen and angry at myself for whatever my role in it was, and for being so angry. Where do I start with all this? And another great question, and Lee, where would we kick it off? Well, one really cool thing is that you're actually starting uh, with, uh, you're, you're actually already doing step one. Like, if, if, if you just were to tell us some of the stuff that you're, that you're feeling or that you're, you're experiencing, I mean, step one would be, you need to get to a place where you can be completely honest about what you're feeling and not try to out-Christian it somehow, um, I say with massive air quotes, and call it something else that sounds more holy. Um, there's a thing that, that Christians tend to do, which is, I know I'm, I guess in some ways I know I'm not supposed to be angry or I'm not supposed to let the sun go down on my anger, whatever the verses are. And so um, I'm going to... I'm going to interpret this real thing that I'm feeling in a Christian way so that I'm comfortable talking about it with church people. Um, we do not want to do any of that kind of stuff. Don't try to paint some kind of uh, Christian-sounding veneer over this that makes it more palatable to church folks or, or makes it seem like you're, you, you have more of a right to, to feel that way. 
Now, you have a right to feel angry. When you feel angry, okay, you're angry. Um, that's that's what you're feeling. Um, and and it's important for you to express all of that and to you know to get it all out. That's one of the things I actually like about your question. The you know you're like I'm angry at this. I'm angry at the other thing. I'm angry at myself a little bit. I'm angry at God. I'm angry at you know I'm angry at the crossing guard. Like great, just be angry. You know, like express all of that. Get it all out. Um, and then let's start asking some questions. One of the things that that psychologists will talk about uh, quite often is that um, it's not always the case, but very often is the case is that anger is a a, a secondary emotion. It's an emotion that we will sometimes um, feel in order to compensate for an, an emotion that's very uncomfortable to feel that we don't like as much, that we don't want to talk about as much. Um, anger. Uh, you know, it has more energy in it. It has more, it feels like it has more activity in it, that kind of stuff. And so um, there's a, uh, you know, it's just one of those things. It's, it's easy to not investigate it. And so I think starting out by not judging the fact that I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to talk about what I'm feeling. I'm going to just go ahead and throw it out there. I'm going to kind of vent my spleen. That's all really, really good. That's step one. And then after some of that burns off, exactly as Jed said in the last question, we want to start asking some questions. Um, are there other things behind the the surface here that the anger was compensating for? Other things that I'm not as comfortable feeling? Um, what would be steps toward resolution that maybe one day I'll be in a place where I would want to do those things? Um, if I was to imagine a scenario where I was able to have, you know, certain kinds of conversations. What are some things I would be willing to say? And what are some things I am absolutely not willing to say? What's some ground that I would be willing to give? And what is some ground I absolutely cannot give at all? Um, to think about some of those things as you go forward and as some of the anger burns off will be a really, really important step for you to figure out what actually happens next. And And by the way, don't judge that process because when you get to a place where if you realize like, nope, nope, I'm still in a really, really bad place and I, it would be unhealthy for me to have certain conversations with certain people right now. Let's not push that. Let's not speed that process up or anything like that. Again, what we want to do is start with being honest, with not judging the fact that you do feel this thing. When some of that burns off, let's look at some of the layers behind it. What are some of the other um, emotions that anger might be compensating for or, or kind of helping you express in another way? And then start to look at what are some steps towards resolution that I can kind of squint in the future and see that one day I may be able to take. And what are ones that I'm really, really uncomfortable with? I'm not going to push that. I'm not going to judge that. I'm not going to uh, try to force myself to have those conversations yet, just yet. Those are some steps in this process that we'll want to start to think about again, after the honest burn off of some of this emotion takes place. Always an excellent place to start out when you're thinking through a tough situation and one where emotions are running high. And Jed, what would you add to that? Well, I think Lee has really already covered it. I'll just add a, a couple of, of quick things. And, and to be clear, th these are things just from my own personal life. Um, in our last question, uh, I divulged the shocking news that I am not a Hebrew scholar. And in this question, I would like to divulge the equally shocking news that I'm not a therapist. So um, just... It sounds like Jed lied on his podcast co-host resume pretty deeply. So we're going to have some <laughs> issues between this and the next show. 
<laughs> so just just a dude, but you know, here's stuff that's worked for me. I, I, I think one of the things to me in my own life that's been the most surprising is how much peace there is when I at least understand part of why I feel the way I feel. Like, even if nothing else has been resolved, if I can at least track why I'm feeling the way that I feel, man, to me, there's a lot more peace to be had there. And I think that the uglier, um, and I'm going to put that word in air quotes, but the uglier the emotion, the more we're tempted to not want to do that. Um, The more we're tempted to just, I just want something that'll just make me not have this emotion anymore. But I think the interesting thing is, if we can understand that why, if we can understand where this feeling is coming from and why we feel it and why we feel it so strongly and what's triggering it, we're going to almost certainly have a lot more peace about <clears throat> ourselves and the situation that we're in. But it's also probably that understanding is going to probably give us a lot of insight about tweaks we could make, ways that we can move forward. So. For a moment, let's use an example that's not your situation because it's always easier to think about something that you're not currently stuck in. Let's suppose that um, you were doing – and I'm going to pick a a feeling that most people think of as as ugly. It's just a feeling, but but as a society, we tend to look down at it. Let's look at envy and jealousy. Let's suppose that you were feeling really envious and really jealous. Well, the first thing we want to acknowledge is that's not a fun feeling. Like, you know, they're, they're, you know, feeling happy is a great feeling. I want more of that feeling envious, feeling jealous, the worst feeling. And so first we just, we don't want to feel that way. And so just the fastest path to not having that feeling is what we're tempted towards, which makes sense. The second is because we've decided it's an ugly feeling. We actually are like judging ourselves for having the feeling, which is kind of Mm. compounded unpleasantness because it's not a fun feeling to have. Plus there's something that's making us feel jealous, which isn't great. And then we are looking down on ourselves for feeling jealous. So it's just, it's like a swirl of unpleasantness. So it's a strong temptation to say, I don't want to look at this. I don't want to analyze it. I don't want to understand why. I just want to not feel the feelings that I'm feeling, which is totally understandable. But if we will push through and look at that, why and and try to get at least some understanding we're going to have a lot more peace you know if it's if it's jealousy if it's yeah. envy we may find maybe we're undervaluing some of the good things in our own lives maybe we're massively overvaluing the supposed good things in somebody else's life maybe we're just exhausted i think there's a huge correlation between envy and jealousy and just being exhausted uh, emotionally mm. and physically and and mentally e- exhausted. But if we can start to get a sense of where it's coming from, first of all, we can begin to turn off that self-judgment because y- you know what, if you've been working, you know, 60 hour weeks and you generally feel terrible and then, you know, this dude, you know, just bought a Ferrari and you feel jealous off of that, part of what's going on here is just exhaustion. So part of the treatment has to be a nap. So mm. we don't have to feel all that bad about ourselves because, you know, anyone would feel crappy after working 60-hour weeks. Plus, uh, naps are good. So if, if that's part of what will get me to a better place, I consent to this treatment. Um, but the other thing that's going to happen there is if we understand those steps, if we, if we understand uh, where this is coming from, then – it's also going to suggest some new ways to contextualize the situation in our own mind, um, some, some new ways to, to think about this. You know, our friend is excited about his new Ferrari and we are happy for him. We also recognize it's a wildly impractical car. 
um, with huge repair bills uh, that people will basically be trying to steal constantly. So I'm glad that he enjoys it, um, and I'm glad to look at it from a distance, but maybe it's actually a good thing that I don't have one because it feels like it would almost certainly be nothing but heartache the entire time. (laughs) So with all that in mind, we're going to turn back to your situation. I really want to encourage you. Find someone safe that you can talk with who is outside of your situation, not to try and talk you out of being angry, but simply who can help you figure out why you're feeling the way that you feel. Someone who can help you get some understanding of how you're feeling. Someone who can help you express those feelings, but answer the why question of where's this coming from so that you can have that peace, so that we can let go of that self-judgment and so that we can begin to chart a way forward. That is, again, another excellent answer and a great building block on where Lee started us off. Uh, the one the one part of this I want to I pick up on, because it is maybe the part you have the most control over, is uh, you say, you know, I'm angry at a person who hurt me. Makes total sense. Um, I'm angry at people who didn't treat them well. Again, makes total sense. I'm angry at God. We've talked a lot on the show over the years about how that's totally allowed. Uh, we're fine with it. God's fine with it. You should be fine with it. That You can get that out. That's fine. But then there's, and I'm angry at myself for whatever my role in this was. And I think that is another weird kind of cultural carryover of the kind of Western Christian idea at all times that everyone's a little to blame for everything is, well, if there's a messy situation that I feel this much anger about, there must be a reason to be angry at myself. Uh, And I would push back on that. I mean, maybe there is, I don't know your situation, but... Let's take, for example, the situation in our first question. Uh, I can certainly see someone being very angry about that. Um, And it's always good to ask the questions that Jed is talking about. One of those questions you should be asking is, did I have a role in this? Did I do something wrong with this? But let's say you're a first question asker and it's, well, I I have feelings for this person and I expressed that and I got this really weird kind of non-answer and there's a bunch of complicating factors that... uh, feel almost Jobian in some ways with the global pandemic and the being stuck and all that. It would be perfectly reasonable to look at that and say, um, I'm not denying my original sin or anything, but I don't think I actually contributed to the awfulness of this situation at all. So I'm going to give myself a break on the Mm -hmm. anger. It's, there's nothing inherently, uh, unholy or unchristian about, uh, giving yourself a break when you deserve one. And that's going to help you deal with, with the anger in all those other directions, if you start with, uh, as kind of as Lee was saying in the last question, how you feel about yourself. That's an important thing to get shored up first before we move on to those other really good steps these guys gave us. If you have a question, you can hit us up at say that podcast at gmail.com or the, or the bridge chicago.tumblr.com slash ask. If you want to keep that entirely anonymous, You can, of course, check us out every Sunday in the new time slot at 7 p.m. Central Time at Facebook.com slash BridgeChicago for the BridgeCast. And if you can't catch it live, those are all archived over there at that same Facebook page. We're going to take out the song this week. This is to celebrate the resurgence of the bridge in person. We give you a song that was recorded live at the bridge. This is Jed leading the men and women of the bridge in a song called My Good is Knowing You. Check out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. The Say That Podcast. Because modest clothing can be quite warm, we suggest a nice linen wool blend. Dress smart and breathable. (laughs) My good is not a car. My good is not a job. 
Sire 